Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of excellence to talk about book two, chapter two. But first, oh, let me just grab something here. All right, something I forgot to do yesterday. I said I'd do this when I get back to my office, and then I didn't. But, okay, I'm going to give you the um, Maud rundown of what happens uh, in every chapter. It's really only, uh, you know what, it's a very, very brief rundown. It's more brief than I remembered. Here we go. Chapters 1 to 4 simply says Anna Chereau's soiree. Uh, then Pierre at Prince Andrew's. Chapter 9 is Pierre at Anatole Karagin's and Dolokhov's bet. Then the name day ceremony at the Rostovs and Natasha and Boris. Anna Mikhailovna and Boris go to the dying Count Bezikov's. Pierre at his father's house talks with Boris. Um, Countess Rostova and Anna Mikhailovna. Then we have dinner at the Rostovs. Maya Dmitrievna is there. Sonia and Natasha... Uh, have their little heart-to-heart. Nicholas sings and no one cares about it. <laughs> and then um, the Daniel Cooper, he's played, and Count Rostov does his awesome dance. Uh, at Count Bezikov's, Prince Vasily and Katish have their conversation. Anna Mikhailovna and Pierre at Count Bezikov's. Anna Mikhailovna and Katish struggle for the inlaid portfolio. Uh, then Bald Hills, we got a Bald Hills. Prince Bolkonsky, Prince Mary correspondence with Julie Karagin. Prince Andrew at Bald Hills. Prince Andrew leaves to join the army. Prince Mary gives him an icon. All right. Well, that wasn't really much of a rundown. I think later on in the book, I remember that being more like a a summary of everything that happened, but that was just almost like chapter titles. Anyway, that was um, a bit anticlimactic after I made you wait about four days for that. Let's talk about book two, chapter two. We get so many details about the personality and mannerisms of the regimental commander, but the only name he is given is a nickname towards the end of of the chapter, the King of Hearts. Is this significant? Why do you think Tolstoy chose not to give him a name? What are your impressions of Kutuzov? How does he compare to the commanders and captains we've been introduced to so far? And this chapter is made up of small exchanges between Kutuzov and Timokhin, Kutuzov and Dolokhov, Dolokhov and the Hussar corner to Zerkov, um, exchanges among the officers and among the company men. With these interactions, if any, do you think are sincere? Oh, sorry, which of them are sincere? Which are mocking formalities or for show? Korsho says, In Russian, the general's nickname has different connotations compared to English. The word for hearts as a card suit um, does not actually mean hearts. Its literal meaning is bright red or golden. So there you go. Um, Down to Earth says, I was entertained by Kuzov making a comment about Timokin as previously having been a, have a predilection for Bacchus. What an interesting way of calling someone a drunk. Kutuzov seems to be quite a character, and I don't know whether he's truly taking this seriously enough or not, or if his attitude is a way to make the soldiers at ease with him as a leader. <clears throat> um, yeah, in my version, I just straight out called him an alcoholic, I think. <laughs> uh, Warren Kovafifi said a couple of things threw me off in this chapter, so I would love some feedback from others. He, when the regimental commander and Timokin are discussing Dolokhov, Timokin says in the PNV translation, he's very correct in his service, Your Excellency, but he's character, and he spells character wrong. Um, 
Apparently, the mispronunciation suggests that he is poorly educated, is the answer to that. Also, um, uh, what is it? Who is it that says this? The King of Hearts, when he speaks to Dolokhov, says, uh, The regiment commander sought out Dolokhov in the ranks and reined in his horse with the first action, epaulets, he said to him. Dolokhov looked, said nothing, and did not change the expression of his mockingly smiling mouth. What does that mean? Uh, apparently, again, in the um, different translation that translates to this, come the first action, you could get your epaulets back, he said to him. So Dolokhov's been demoted in the ranks. He's lost his um, position, and the epaulets, the, those are the things that sit on a sh- on your shoulders in a um, uniform, those little kind of shoulder pad thingies, um, they signify your rank. So he lost his epaulets because he got demoted, but the guy's saying, you know, as soon as you see a battlefield, you'll prove yourself and you'll, um, you, at the first opportunity, you'll earn your space. You'll, you'll, you'll be re-promoted back to your old place, I, I suppose is what he's saying. Um, Acoustic Eels had a good point, saying, I did notice that the last chapter didn't have as many Australianisms, but it was also a lot of setting and not dialogue, Hoping for more of that from all these soldiers, they probably have coarser language than the high society people. Um, yeah, this chapter and chapter one, book two, chapter one, I should say, yesterday's chapter and um, and the previous one. Uh, first of all, the war ones, I did find it difficult to figure out exactly what I'm doing with these in terms of the Aussiness, because when they're just talking military strategy, it's hard to sort of Aussieify it. I tried to mostly just simplify it and make it very understandable. Um, and I also tried to put, you know, some kind of casual language in and some Aussiness here and there where I can. Um, the other thing is that now that we've reached book two, I'm reading ones that I haven't had a chance to um, proofread and edit yet. So these are first drafts, whereas everything in book one was an edit. And the other thing that was happening when I went through and edited the chapters in book one, I added quite a lot of humor. I found it easier to add in little jokes and quips and smart ass remarks and stuff like that in the second edit um, for some reason. And so I haven't done that yet with uh, book two. So there is still some some gags. There's still some goofs. Don't get me wrong. Um, And especially as we move forward through book two, it gets funnier. But I think at the start of this, I kind of was just struggling to, to to calibrate with this new setting and this new almost style of narrative and think, okay, what am I going to do with this? So you just have to bear with me for the first few chapters if it's not quite uh, as polished as book one. It will be polished sometime in the future, of course, when I release it as a, as a real book. All right, I think we should just move, move forward. Hey, what do you reckon of that idea? Oh, but saying that, I haven't opened the page I need yet. I always do this. Um, book two, chapter three. All right, here we go. Scrolling. All right, here we go. Book two, chapter three goes like this. When he got back from reviewing the troops, Big Dog Kutuzov took the Austrian general into his private room and hollered for his adjutant. He asked his him he asked him for some papers relating to the condition of the troops on their arrival and the letters that the Archduke Ferdinand had sent. 
He was the same bloke in command of the advanced army. Prince Andrew Bolkonsky came into the room uh, with the papers he wanted. Kutuzov and the Austrian member of the Hofkriegsgraf were sitting at a table with the plan spread out before them. Ah, said Kutuzov, as if to say to his adjutant Bolkonsky, hold your horses a sec, and then going on with the conversation in French. What I reckon, General, said he, with a pleasant and elegant demeanour that made you want to listen to him real hard because he was talking so nicely, it was clear that the big dog himself loved the sound of his own voice. What I reckon, General, is it if if it was up to if it was up to me. Oh God. Uh, His Majesty, what I reckon, General, if it was up to me, His Majesty, the Emperor Francis, would have got his way ages ago. I would have joined the Archduke ages back, and believe me on my word that I would have loved to hand over the supreme command of the army into the hands of a better informed and niftier general, Austria has lots of those, and to piss all this bloody responsibility off. But hey, general, sometimes circumstances are out of our control. And Kutuzov gave a little smile that seemed to say, believe me, don't believe me, I don't care, just keep it to yourself, that's my whole point. The Austrian general didn't seem wrapped with that, but he had no choice but to reply in the same tone. On the contrary, he said in a pissy and bitter tone that contrasted with his flattering words, on the contrary, Your Excellency, participation in the common action is highly valued by His Majesty, but we think the present delay is depriving the splendid Russian troops and their commanders of the praises they are used to being sung in their battles. He concluded, the sentence had a very pre-thought-out feel about it. Kutuzov bowed with the same smile. Anyway, that's what I reckon, and judging by that last letter with which His Highness and the Arch with which His Highness the Archduke Ferdinand has honoured me, I imagine that the Austrian troops have already won their battle and don't need our help, given that their leader, General Mack, is so skilful and all, said Kutuzov. The general gave a frown, though there was no news that confirmed an Austrian defeat. There were many true-seeming, unfavourable rumours floating around which made Kutuzov's suggestion of an Austrian victory sound pretty ironic. But Kutuzov continued smiling blandly with the same look on his face, which seemed to say that he had every right to believe it. And in fact, the last letter he'd gotten from Mack's army told him of a victory and that the army had a very favourable strategic position. Uh, Chuck the letter here a sec, said Kutuzov, turning to Prince Andrew. Please, have a read. And Kutuzov, with an ironical smile on the corners of his mouth, read the Austrian general the following passage in German from the Archduke Ferdinand's letter. We have fully concentrated forces of probably like 70,000-ish men with which we can attack and beat up the enemy should he cross the leech. Also, as we are masters of Ulm, we cannot lose the advantage of commanding both sides of the Danube River. So if the baddies don't cross the leech, we can cross the Danube, chuck ourselves on his line of communication, come back across the river lower down and throw a spanner in his works for him if he tries to direct his whole force against our faithful ally. So then we'll confidently await the moment when the Imperial Russian army will be fully equipped and then, in conjunction with it, we'll easily find a way to dish up to the enemy the fate he deserves. Kutuzov finished reading the paragraph and gave a deep sigh, then gave the member of the Hofkriegsgraf a what-do-you-reckon-of-that kind of look. 
but what is it they say, Your Excellency, about how you should expect the worst? said the Austrian general, evidently wishing to stop taking the piss and get serious. He gave an involuntary glance at the aide-de-camp. Excuse me, general, interrupted Kutuzov, also turning to Prince Andrew. All right, mate, look here. Get all the reports from our scouts off Kozlovsky. Here's two letters from Count Nostovitz, and here's one from His Highness, the Archduke Ferdinand. Oh, and these ones, he said, shoving a bunch of papers into Prince Andrew's hands. Make a neat memorandum in French out of all this. Make sure it includes all the news we have about the movements of the Austrian army, and then give it to His Excellency. Prince Andrei gave a bow of the head to show he knew that what Kutuzov was on about. He gathered up the papers with a bow to both, stopped, stepped softly over the carpet, and went out into the waiting room. It hadn't been long since Prince Andrei had left Russia, but he'd changed heaps since his facial expressions, his movements, his walk. They were all different now, and you could, couldn't see even a trace of the lethargic bastard he was back home. <clears throat> now he was like a guy that actually cared about how he came across to those around him and who had work set out before him that he was really into. He didn't seem to hate himself as much these days or those around him, and his smile was a little brighter and more attractive. Kutuzov, whom he had overtaken in Poland, I'm going to change that, caught up to in Poland, had received him very kindly and promised not to forget him. He had distinguished him above the other adjutant and taken him to Vienna and given him the more serious commissions. From Vienna, Kutuzov wrote to his old comrade, Prince Andrew's father, Your son is on track to become an officer known for his industry, firmness and competence. I consider myself lucky to have him as a subordinate. On Kutuzov's staff among his fellow officers and in the army generally, Prince Andrei had two very opposite reputations, just as he did in Petersburg society. A few people recognized he was different and expected great things from him. They listened to him, admired him and imitated him. And whenever Prince Andrei was around such people, he was natural and pleasant. Others, though, and this was the majority, thought he was an absolute prick. With those ones, Prince Andrei had a different approach. He took a stand so that they feared and respected him. Coming out of Kutuzov's room into the waiting room with the papers in his hand, Prince Andrei went over to his comrade, the aide-de-camp, on duty, Kozlovsky, who was hang hanging out by the window with a book. "'Well, Prince,' asked Kozlovsky, "'I've got to write a memorandum to say why we're not advancing.' And is that... And why is that? Prince Andrew shrugged his shoulders. Any news from Mac? Nah. If he'd really been beaten, we'd know by now. Probably, said Prince Andrei, moving towards the outer door. But just then a lanky bastard in a great coat, an Austrian, with the order of Mar Maria Theresa on his neck and black bandage around his neck came fanging through the door, slamming it after him. Prince Andrei stopped. Commander-in-Chief Kutuzov, said the newly arrived general, speaking real fast and with a harsh German accent, he looked to both sides, advancing straight towards the inner door. He's busy, said Kozlovsky, rushing up to the mysterious intruder and blocking his way to the door. Whom shall I announce? The mystery general looked real angry at Kozlovsky, who was a fair bit shorter than him, as if pissed that he hadn't been recognised. The commander-in-chief is busy, Kozlovsky calmly repeated. The general's face clouded, his lips trembled. He took out a notebook and quickly scribbled something in pencil, tore it out and gave it to Kozlovsky. He quickly went 
over to a chair by the window and threw himself down into it, gazing at those around him as if asking, what the hell are you looking at? Then he lifted his head, arched his neck as if he intended to say something, but immediately, as if he didn't give a shit, started humming to himself. Then he stopped. The door of the private room opened and the big dog stepped out. The general, with the bandaged head, bent forward as if ducking some stray bullet and with long, quick strides went up to Kutuzov. Vous voyez le maru, Mac, he uttered in a broken voice. Kutuzov's face remained blank for a moment as he stood there in the door. Then a wave of wrinkles ran over his face, his forehead became smooth again and he bowed respectfully, closed his eyes, silently met, let Mac enter his room before him and closed the door himself behind him. The rumour that was going around that the Austrians had been beaten and the whole army had surrendered at Ulm was apparently correct. Within half an hour, adjutants had been sent off in every direction with orders which showed that the Russian troops, who so far hadn't really done much, would soon have to meet the enemy. Prince Andrei was one of those rare staff officers whose main interest was how the war progressed in general. When he saw Mac and heard the details of his disaster, he understood that the campaign was now half-screwed, understood how shitty the Russian army's position was and vividly imagined what lay before them and the part he'd have to play in it all. Despite himself, he felt a little excited, almost happy that the arrogant Austrian Austria had been humiliated and that in a week or so he would most likely be part of the first Russian encounter with the French since Suvorov met them. He feared that Bonaparte's genius might outweigh all the courage of the Russian troops and at the same time couldn't fathom that his hero might be disgraced. Slightly put off with these thoughts, Prince Andre made towards his room, thinking he might write a letter to his dad, which he did every day. In the corridor he bumped into Nezvitsky, his roommate currently, and the clown, Zerkov. They were giggling like a couple of schoolgirls, as usual. What crawled up your ass and died? asked Nesvitsky, noticing Andre's pale face. Could I ask you what you're so happy about? answered Bolkonsky. Just as Prince Andre met Nesvitsky and Zerkov, another bloke, Straunch, came toward them from the other end of the corridor. He was an Austrian general on Kutuzov's staff, in charge of the provisioning of the Russian army, and a member of the Hofkriegsgraf, who had arrived the night before. There was plenty of room in the corridor for the generals to get past, but Zerkov pushed Nesvitsky to the side and said breathlessly, They're coming, they're coming, stand aside, move for crying out loud. The generals were passing by as if they didn't want anyone looking at them. Zerkov, the bloody clown, suddenly had a shit-eating grin across his face, which he seemed unable to hide. Your Excellency, said he in German, stepping forward and addressing the Austrian general, let me be the first to congratulate you. He bowed his head and scraped first one boot, one foot and then the other like a goofy kid in a dance class. The member of the Hofgris Graf gave him a severe look, but seeing his shit-eating grin on his face, reluctantly raised his eyebrows as if to show he was listening. Let me be the first to congratulate you. General Mac has arrived in pretty good nick, just with a whittle old bruise just here, he added, pointing with a beaming smile at his head. The general huffed and went on. Got we knave, said he angrily after a few steps. God, what a dickhead. Nesvitsky laughed like a moron and threw his arms around Prince Andre, but Bolkonsky was having none of it. He went even paler than before and angrily pushed Nesvitsky away. He rounded on Zerkov, 
He'd had a few butterflies in his tum-tum, building butterfly tum-tum steam ever since Mac had gotten back, and the news of this defeat, and the thought of what lay before the Russian army, and now the butterfly tum-tum anger found vent at Zerkov's dickheadedness. If you want to go ahead and be a dickhead, I can't stop you, he said sharply, his lower jaw trembling, but I tell you what, if you act the fool in my presence again, I'll teach you a bloody lesson, all right. Nezvitsky and Zerkov were so surprised by this outburst that they gazed at Bolkonsky like a couple of stunned mullets. What? I was congratulating him, said Zerkov. I'm not fucking around. Shut up, cried Bolkonsky. He grabbed Nezvitsky's arm and dragged him away, leaving Zerkov standing there with nothing to say. Jeez, mate, what's wrong, said Nezvitsky, trying to soothe him. What's wrong? exclaimed Prince Andrei, standing still in his anger. Don't you get it? We are either officers serving our Tsar and our country, rejoicing in the successes and grieving at the losses of our common cause, or we're a bunch of shitheads who don't give a shit what happens to our masters. Quarantive mil hom massacre et le... The French words, I'll just read you the English bit. 40,000 men are dead and the army of our ally is destroyed and you reckon that's funny? He said, and he used French because it seemed to emphasize the importance of his words. C'est bien pour un garçon de rien comme ce individu dont vous avez fait un ami, mais pas pour vous, pas pour vous. <laughs> it's what I'd expect from that idiot mate of yours, but you're better than that. Only a little grommet would find that shit funny, he added in Russian but pronounced the words with a French accent, having noticed that Zerkov could still hear him. He waited a sec to see if the cornet would answer, but he pussied out and left the corridor. All right, there we go. There's a chapter for you. Have your say about that one. War is coming for these guys. The French are coming. All right, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.